2: Last week we left off at verse 5 of Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to pick up there today, and we're going to try to get to verse 9. But Paul is discipling believers, and in this portion of the letter, he is teaching them. He is teaching them who they are and who they are not. The hardest thing for us believers to really grasp, to get a hold of, is the distinction between who we are and who we are not. As I've said many times before, the world and the enemy has many mediums that they use to reinforce the lie that we are of this world. The greatest one is the body that you're in. Every time you look in the mirror, you see the body as you, but it is not you. It's just the suit that you're wearing. If you understand that, then you can love others in a different way. You can accept others in a different way. Everything we see with the eye or touch with the hand or hear with the ear can be used to bring us into a lie. To reinforce the lie that we are of this earth. But we're not of this earth. There's a difference between being in the world and being of the world. And there's a difference between being in the flesh and being of the flesh. Now, Paul disciples these new believers to embrace the truth of their new reality, that they are spirit. They're not flesh. And he begins to illustrate the differences in these verses. The reason is that Christians that live a defeated life, a harassed, selfish, hopeless life... The Christian that is ever seeking peace and never finding rest. The Christian that is living to the same rewards that the world gives is the Christian that does not live by faith or in the truth of who they are. That they are of the spirit and not of the flesh. They're living a lie. They are living according to the flesh. So when we live according to the flesh, the reality is, is that we're distorted ...in how we see life, we're distorted in how we experience life. And this is where most defeated Christians are living. Their lives are not marked by joy or peace. They're living to the same coping mechanisms that the world's living to. And this is what Paul is trying to spare these new believers as he disciples them. Now you remember that they're in Rome. And during that time in Rome, the indulgence of the flesh was the rule of the day... Yeah, you know, every man did what was right in his own eyes, or whatever they chose to do as long as it was sanctioned by the government, and the government was ever a bit as corrupt as the wicked and evil men that ran it. So these new Christians, prior to their receiving Christ, lived to an abandonment to the flesh, full throttle, most likely, in a way that even America has not yet come into. And now they have received a new nature. They now have spiritual appetites. And Paul is teaching them how to own those spiritual appetites. And that's really what this is about. And do we think we're beyond that? The reality of it is is that we spend more time crafting worldly appetites, disciplining our flesh to act in a way that is acceptable to our worldly perception. In other words, to dress a certain way, to speak a certain way. We're constantly trying to recreate ourselves in the image of the world. We do these things almost without thinking. And it's easy to get caught up in that. And the problem with that is, is that in order for us to enter into that kind of thinking, we begin to see ourselves as flesh rather than spirit. We make a priority of living to the flesh, and the spirit is relegated to emergencies and to spiritual and religious application. Paul is taking these guys from the very beginning, and he says, Now look, it's so important that you understand this. If you don't get anything else, this is going to give you the perspective of how to live life. Because you are a new creation, and you have literally been changed. And you are not a flesh creature. You no longer live or should no longer live to the appetites of the flesh. What attracts the worldling should not attract you because you have a higher calling and a greater blessing in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand who you are. I want you to understand how God made you and what he made you to or what he made you for. If you can grasp that, I think we're... Got a lot going on here, don't we? If you can grasp that, then you can live with freedom. Then you can literally embrace life the way life was intended to be seen. You know why? Do you know why Christians have trouble in marriage? Because they have crafted their marriage after the flesh. Do you know why? Christians have trouble... With money? Because money is something that they use to enrich the flesh. And they see the values of the world as their own. You see, it is it is a subtle thing. But it is a pervasive thing. So Paul is getting these new creations a new look at their reality. Let's start in back in Romans 8, 5 where I left off and... Get a running start at this. It says, For those who are according to the flesh are controlled by its unholy desires, set their minds on and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit, set their minds on and seek those things which gratify the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll notice there are two different people in this this verse. And those they are those who are, and I told you last week, underline that word are, those who are according to the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit. Both, again, are what they are. They're not becoming, they're not choosing to be, they are. This is a product of birth. This is their state of being. It is who they are. And this is a present tense condition. And both of these have their mindset. If you look back at the verse, both of these have their mindset in accordance to who they are. The bird thinks like a bird and will therefore act like a bird. The fish thinks like a fish and will therefore act like a fish. These, this is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about. Their mind is set according to their nature. Now, to be spiritually minded is to think like a new creation. It is not like those who are separated from God. It is to have the mind of Christ. And we brought this up last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, for those who have known or understood the mind, the counsels and purposes of the Lord, so as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge. But we have the mind of Christ, the Messiah, and do hold the thoughts and feelings and purposes of his heart. Now, he doesn't say that we... We are trying to think like Christ or seeking to shape our minds to be like Christ. He says, we have the mind of Christ and do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. And that's because we have his nature. And the mind that we have functions according to that nature. We are suited to be spiritually minded. And the thing last week in this same verse is that so many of us, we read those verses concerning the mind and the mind of the flesh is an enmity against God. But then we are messed up in how we're thinking about that because we don't have a mind of flesh any longer. We have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ is not enmity against God. It is literally the mind that is in, that is in, that functions In coordination with the nature of God. You have Christ, the nature of Christ within you. You have a new nature. Does that make sense? Well, you also have a new mind. You also have a new heart. So, when we talk about renewing your mind, when we talk about setting your mind, we're saying, think with the right mind. Bring yourself back to the truth that should be yours. We are suited to be spiritually minded. Have you ever heard the expression? They are so spiritually minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? Well, typically they're describing someone who has adopted spirituality as a fleshly identity and have become obnoxious with it. But the reality is that that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be so spiritually minded... That the world doesn't enter into our reasoning for how we do and think and act. It doesn't. It says we are to be guided by the Spirit of God. Controlled by the Spirit of God. Literally, it says a mind possessed by the Spirit of God. And what Paul is saying there is that this mind is directed by the Spirit of God and has no affinity for the world. Now, I'm speaking of the world in the negative sense. I'm not talking about the creation in general, okay? The reality is that we are to be exactly as that saying goes. The earth has its purpose, and the purpose is spiritual first and foremost. God created the heavens and the earth. What was his purpose in creating the heavens and the earth? To create a place where he could be with man. That was his purpose, to bring glory unto God. So can we say that the earth had a spiritual purpose before it ever had a physical one? Isn't that true? It is true, whether you agree with me or not. The, uh, the earth had a spiritual purpose first and a physical purpose second. The carnal Christian lives in a reverse order. He commits his mind and his body to live after the flesh first, and then if there's anything left, he commits it to the spiritual. We as Christians can still fill our minds and subsequently our lives with worldly thinking and living. We can choose to be man-centered, can't we? To set and seek is what Paul says. To set and seek, those are action words. This is Paul telling these new Christians, this is who you are. This is how you're made. Now, set and seek to live in accordance to who you are. Choose. That's what he's talking about. It's an action word. Now, as I said last week, you won't always feel like a child of God, and you certainly won't always act like a child of God, but you are a child of God, and you can choose to think like one. Romans 8, 6. Now the mind of the flesh, which is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit, is death. Death that comprises all the miseries arising from sin, both here and hereafter. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace, both now and forever. The mind of the flesh is thinking apart from the balance of the Spirit, or a mind that disregards the balance of the Spirit. It is death. Because it has no regard for the true purposes of life. The lost man does not have a spiritual mind. And therefore he is incapable of embracing life in anything. He can only think and reason apart from God. So he has no wisdom. He cannot see what adds or takes away from his flesh. So he cannot know God in anything. Now the reason I put that in the context of life itself is that... As I pointed out, the earth had its purpose spiritually first and foremost. God has created the physical to illustrate the spiritual, to put us in a position of faith. So, can we say that marriage had a spiritual purpose before it had a physical one? And if Christ is life, and the life that we are to live is spiritual then we can only experience life in marriage as marriage is lived in the context of Christ. And this is true not only of marriage, it's true of your job, it's true of your relationships, it's true of having children, it's true of every portion of life. So Christ came and he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now when he said that, what he is saying is that I have a life for you that the lost man can't see or fathom. There is literally a value, a worth in every function of life that the lost man is blind to. And you will be blind to if you live to the flesh. But if you'll live to the Spirit... You will recognize that the purpose of marriage is in Christ. That the purpose of the job is in Christ. That the purpose of the body is in Christ. That everything that we do has a purpose in Christ. The reward, literally the life, as Christ defines life, is in Him. As we see Him, recognize Him, and live our lives out. Through him in each one of these things. Now we take Ephesians 2.10 and we say God has set a path before us. God has set a path that is ours, made for us before the foundations of the earth. Literally crafted that he might work all things together for good. That he might set us in a direction that literally grows us and matures us in truth. To the degree that we won't even recognize till we hit eternity. Or heaven. We say that. But here's the thing we need to recognize. If that is so. Then these things in our path. This, these uh, the instances. The moments. The vignettes of life. None of them are without purpose. You getting up this morning was not without purpose. Brushing your teeth was not without purpose. If you are primarily a spiritual person. Wearing an earth suit then you recognize that God has literally worked in a spiritual purpose in everything that He has set before you to do. If you literally want to live a life, a life of abundance then you will be spiritually minded and what that means is that you will allow the mind of Christ to direct you in what you do that you may derive from that activity the spiritual value that God has for you in it. That is how he intends the Christian to live. When he came and he said, I gave you life, he wasn't just talking about one day when you get to heaven, you're going to have life and life abundantly. Life abundantly literally began the day you were born in him. Because it was at that point that you had the mind to recognize, to perceive, and to own and embrace the truth of the spiritual value of all of creation. It was then. That's why the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, 6. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace. Both now, that's in this moment, and forever, that's in eternity. The lost man, he can only think and reason apart from God, so he has no wisdom. He can only see what adds and takes away from his flesh, so he cannot know God's purposes in anything. The miseries that arise from sin include futility and emptiness of existence. The stress and struggle of living to one's flesh. Here's the thing about that. The frustration and the futility of existence. The misery of sin. Now that's the sin's curse. You know what the sin's curse really is. It is the absence of life in existence. What does that mean to you? That means that the curse of sin is that the lost man will not experience life in anything that he pulls to himself. He can get married, but there won't be any life in that marriage. He can have a successful career, but there won't be any life in that successful career. He can have good health, but there won't be any life in that good health. He will simply exist and one day die. And when Jesus says, I gave you life, it means that you will use these mediums, the job, the marriage, and whatever else, as a way to recognize and experience and embrace life. Does that make sense? You have a new purpose in these things. The lost man doesn't. Now, here's the truth. A carnal Christian suffers from the same sickness. They will not allow themselves to think with a spiritual mind. So therefore, they derive from the world the same values that the world does from all of these different mediums. And you know what the world derived from those things? Death. Death. So the carnal Christian finds death in his marriage. The carnal Christian finds death in his career. The carnal Christian finds death in all of the medians that he believes would give him life. Because there's only one true source of life. It is Christ. And that life that he has given us is about is about him in the marriage. It's about him in the job. It's about him in in school. It's about him in our body. In each one of these things, Christ designed for us to have life in him. The carnal Christian refuses to live to that, so therefore he has the same rewards and lives to the same rewards that the world does. You ask him what a blessing is, and he'll give you the same answer as any lost man will give you. He will. He doesn't realize that God defines blessing one way. Jesus. Every blessing he gave, he gave in Christ Jesus. If we want to ignore and put Jesus to the fringe or into a religious box, we have literally pushed away the very blessing of life that God has given us in our thinking and in our living. But the mind of the Holy Spirit is life and soul peace both now and forever. The mind of the Holy Spirit is life to our existence. And again, not just life by virtue of being a child of God, But it is the life that we experience as a child of God here on earth. When Jesus told us that he came to give us life, he didn't mean heaven one day. And he speaks of, this verse speaks of peace, soul peace. And you know where soul peace is? It's in the mind, will, and emotions. Now the spiritual mind is a mind that functions in the consciousness of the life of Christ. Spirit life is in the context of the perception of what life is. Now, I'm using a lot of words here, but I want you to really understand what I'm saying. If I am living in the context of myself being a spiritual being, and I am walking in the truth that I am a new creation, then the priority for me is to live out of the new creation to see everything in that context. So if I live in that context, when I go to the job each day, then the first thing I see or I look for is what Christ is going to do in the job, how Christ is going to minister in the job, how he is going to live life through me in the job. And I define my day that way. Because if I don't, then it's all about how everybody else treated me. It's all about whether or not I got paid well enough for what I did. It's all about how hard I worked. It's all about my career potential. It's all about the mood of the boss. Can you see there's a different context? One is totally fleshly. Now, if I were to take a lost person and ask them what is the context for life in that job, they would tell you exactly what I just mentioned. But a spiritual person should tell you just the opposite. Do you see how the mind of the flesh is death and the mind of the spirit is life? Can you see that? And that's what Paul is pointing out in these verses. And he points it out over and over again. As we read in the Gospels, we see that Christ had a spiritual perspective of life. You can see that, right? Christ saw all things as spiritual. He didn't look at him as being earthly. He used the earthly to illustrate the spiritual. He had a spiritual view of life.
1: Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you.